the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Current news. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park and 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Since we are the ones who have offended God with our sin, it would only stand to reason that the initiative for reconciliation should take place with us. We should make the first move, but it doesn't, and it can't, and we're not able to do that because we have no way to be reconciled to God. There is nothing we can do to appease God, but I thank Him every day that He has already done what is necessary on my behalf. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff, teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our main text in this study is in 2 Corinthians, but right now we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2, which talks about us being dead in our sins. Here's Pastor Steve to continue our study of reconciliation. Now what is the gift of God? Is it salvation? Yes. Is it faith? Yes, it's both. You didn't muster up faith in yourself. How How did dead people get faith? You didn't decide to repent in and of yourselves. How did dead people repent? You and I had no ability to respond to God. We were dead. God worked in our hearts. You have been saved by his grace, his unmerited favor through faith. It's not of ourselves because God gave us the faith to believe. And then he says and clarifies this, verse 9, that it's the gift of God, not as a result of works. Works and a gift are two different things. Works and a gift are two different things. You work for something, it's not a gift. You give a gift, you don't give a bill with it. Otherwise, it's not a gift. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. If if there's any human effort involved in our salvation, any, even faith being your human effort, then it is a work. And then he explains, for we are his workmanship. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. It is God who does it. He brought you to salvation, and he's the one who continues to do that work of sanctification. And he says, these good works God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Listen, folks, it is all of God's grace. Salvation is of the Lord from beginning to end. I I remember that just before I became a Christian, I, I knew that my life needed to change. Didn't know how to change it, but I knew that I, it needed to change. I was a freshman at the University of South Florida. Uh, a friend began to witness to me, and I was, I was really interested in my friend's life because I, I looked at him and I knew I wanted to be like him, except I didn't want to accept Jesus. I wanted to have the peace he had, the love he had towards people, the the calmness, the assurance, the joy I saw in his life. And so what I did is I tried to copy him. I just tried to behave outwardly like uh, like he uh, behaved. And um, I was just a, a big phony. It didn't come from my heart. I could make some outward changes, but inside I still had those rotten attitudes. I could pretend to love people, but inside I really didn't. 
But you know what? When I came to faith in Christ, when I came to faith in Christ, the changes began to occur because God had changed my heart. He gave me a new nature. I didn't understand all that at the time, but there were, there were legitimate, real changes. And they continue to this day, a love for people, a calmness, a joy, uh, an inner peace. All of that really changed. It wasn't just reformation, it was transformation. Why? Because it is Jesus Christ who works by his sovereign power to create us into new people. Now, the question is this, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this. How did he do it? How did he do it? Is there a process? Is there, is there a procedure how we can follow step by step how God brought us to himself and worked in our lives? Yes. I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, one of the great chapters in the Bible. Our Women's Thursday morning Bible study has been covering Romans, and this is a magnificent chapter. Its design is to tell us that we are secure in Jesus Christ, that uh, if you have entered into a relationship with him, you will never lose that relationship. Your salvation is eternally secure. But in verses 29 and 30, Paul actually gives us a step-by-step procedure of how salvation from God's perspective works. And this is why it's so refreshing, because when we think of salvation, usually we think of it just from our own perspective. And from our perspective, we, we saw we were sinners, we understood, somebody shared with us, we read the Bible, that Christ died for our sins, we knew we needed forgiveness of sins, we, we know we, we want to, to change, we want a relationship with him, we pray to receive Christ, and that's it. But that's not how it was from God's perspective. And so let's look at this. Very refreshing. He says in verse 28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And then he explains how it happened that we were called and brought to him. He says in verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. He gives us five steps here. And let's begin with the first one. According to verse 29, he says, for those whom he foreknew. That's step number one. Our salvation began in the heart and mind of God when he foreknew us. Now, what does it mean to foreknow us? Contrary to what many, many, many Christians believe, and and we hear them say this, uh, it does not mean that God knew beforehand that you would be saved and therefore he chose you. That's a given. God doesn't have to tell us that. Obviously, he knows beforehand. He knows everything beforehand. That does not mean, that, that is not what the word and concept of foreknowledge means. It sounds like that in the English language. Sure, foreknowledge, he knows beforehand. But that's not what Paul meant here. The the Greek word that we translate for no means a predetermined choice to set his affection on someone. It is basically synonymous with the word foreordain. In fact, if you write in your Bibles, it's good to put somewhere near there foreordain whom he foreordained. That's the concept. That's what he's talking about. It does the Bible does not teach that God chose you because he knew you would first choose him. That, that's no choosing. You would never choose him. If left to ourselves, dead people don't choose God. Paul said in Romans 3, no man follows God. No man seeks God. We're not doing it. It's not happening. 
We're hostile towards God. We're alienated. We're dead in sins and trespasses. God is the one who foreordains us. And let me just uh, just verify that and sh- prove that to you from Acts chapter 2. There's one book forward in your Bibles. Acts chapter 2, the setting is Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, the Jewish feast of Pentecost. There are thousands of Jewish people listening to him, and he preaches the gospel. And he tells them about Jesus. He says in verse 22, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by what? The predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. You think Peter is saying that Jesus died and God knew beforehand that he would die? No, it was the predetermined plan. It was the foreordained plan. Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And what he's saying here is that God didn't just know ahead of time that Jesus would would die and be put on the cross. It was God's plan, predetermined, foreordained plan. So when we go back to Romans 8, for God to foreknow us means that he chose us. He foreordained us to come to him for, for salvation. He predetermined to set his special affection upon us. Now, that's the first step in bringing us to himself. When did this take place? I don't know the precise date, but I know that Ephesians 1.4 says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So in eternity past, you were in his heart and mind, and he chose you to come to himself. Why did he choose you and not others? I don't know. That hasn't been revealed. And we don't know who the chosen are until they come to Christ. But the Bible says that in the heart and mind of God, step number one is he foreknew us. Then Paul says in in verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Now that word predestinate is a word that scares a lot of Christians. It really shouldn't. It simply means this, that those God chose to come to him, those, those people that God chooses to come to him, he also destines them or before time predestines them to ultimately become like Jesus Christ. That's all it means. If God has chosen you, you have been destined before time began to become like his son, which means ultimately that you will be like Christ in terms of character, which means that you can never lose this salvation. Those who believe that they can lose their salvation do not understand the cross, do not understand the sovereignty of God, do not understand the real message of salvation. They, they, they cannot understand this. God has promised those he's chosen will ultimately make it. Jesus said, I've not lost one. I'll never lose one. Can't possibly happen. You have been predestined to become like Christ in his image. In terms of his character, you and I will never be God, but we will be like Christ in terms of character. So those God chooses, he also is destined to ultimately be like his son. There's a third step. We jump down to verse 30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. The third step is to be called. Now, that's where where we enter the picture in terms of experience. Everything before this, foreknew and predestined, it's in the heart and mind of God in eternity past. But when God calls us, he moves in our lives. 
He, this is when he breaks into your life in time and in, in history, and he calls you. And what Paul means by this is an inward call to come to Christ. It's what theologians call that, that irresistible calling. It's that drawing, that drawing to Christ that cannot and will not ultimately be resisted. Jesus said in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. What a great statement. No one can come. Did you hear that? No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Unless the Father draws him. And those who are chosen and predestined are drawn to Jesus Christ. They are called. Everyone is invited, but only those who have been foreordained are called with that inward calling. Now, how does that happen? How does he do that? Is there some subjective mysticism here? Not really. No, not at all. In fact, First Thessalonians Chapter 2, or Second Thessalonians rather, chapter 2 tells us, let me read it to you, Second Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14, Paul says, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in him. Now, Paul says, you're the chosen, but how did he choose us? How did he call us, rather? Verse 14, and was, it was for this He called you through our gospel, through our gospel. The way God calls us is through the word of God. There's nothing mysterious about it. I mean, there's a mystery in the sense that he works in our hearts and transforms us and changes our will and all that. But but he, he calls us through the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How does he do this? Well, God works in our hearts. He, he convicts us of our sin. He opens our understanding to Christ's death for our sins. He gives us and grants us repentance and faith, and we turn to Christ for salvation. That's, that's something of how it's all done. You see, left to ourselves, we would never come to Christ. Years ago, there was that little bumper sticker that said, I found him, and I understand what they, they meant by that, but nobody really found Jesus. He wasn't lost. We were. He found us. We were not looking for him. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We would never come to Christ on our own. Why? Because in our nature, we are hostile towards him. We are rebellious towards him. We are at war with him. We resist his standards. We are intent on living uh, for ourselves. But when he calls the elect, the elect ultimately come. They come in response to the word. And when that happens, another step in the process of salvation takes place. He says, you're, you've been foreordained, you've been predestined, you've been called. And then he says, those who are called are justified. You are justified. When the elect come to Christ for salvation, God declares them just or righteous. This doesn't mean your behavior is always righteous. This is a legal term whereby God pronounces the elect who have turned to Christ for salvation as righteous. He takes the righteousness of Jesus Christ, he places it on our account, and he declares that from henceforth, we are considered righteous in his sight. This is what we call imputation. Not amputation, but imputation. He imputes or reckons to our account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. How can he do that? Because in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, he made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. On the cross, Jesus was treated like he was a sinner. But you say, but he wasn't a sinner. Right. Our sins were imputed to him. God treated him as a sinner. He died as a sinner, though he did not ever sin. 
And when we come to Christ for salvation, God treats us as righteous, even though we're not righteous. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. God says he declares that we're righteous. He treats us as if we're as righteous as his son. That's justification. That happened the moment you turn to Christ. You may not have realized it, but that's what happened. That's why you can never lose your salvation too. It's, it's ludicrous. It's outrageous to think you can lose your salvation when God declares you righteous, even, even when your behavior is not. But there's something else. In Romans 8, 30 says, whom he foreknew, he predestined, whom he predestined, he called, who he, who those he called, he justified. And then look at that last phrase. He says, that these whom he justified, he also glorified. Glorified. And what does that mean? It means to be like Christ in glory, to be in heaven forever. But notice Paul puts it in the past tense. Why would you put it in the past tense? It hasn't happened to us yet. If you think this is glory, you need to see me this week in the office because serious problem. This is not glory. But he puts it in the past tense as if it happened. Why? Because it is so certain and so real that Paul speaks of it as if it is a past event, as if it's already happened. Your salvation, beloved, is secure. It is secure. What began in the heart and mind of God in eternity past, and that he foreordained you and chose you, he will bring it to pass that you will be in glory with him forever. Now, this is the process of salvation from God's perspective. And when we understand this procedure, we can understand a little bit better what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians 5.18. He says, now, all these things are from God. God is the one who is responsible for everything related to your salvation. He is the source of all that you have in Christ. He initiated, he gave you conviction of your sin. He gave you faith to believe. He saved you, he changed you, he justified you. And someday he will bring you to heaven. Just as he was the sole creator of this material world, so he is the one solely responsible to make a new creature out of you. That's Paul's point. And when you grasp that, you ought to really understand more of the absolute awesomeness of our God. The older you get in Christ, the more you should see that it is not about you at all. It is, your salvation is of the Lord. Now, the question is, how can he do all of this for us? How can he make us new creatures in Christ when we have rebelled against him and have become his enemy. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, mankind has been at war with God. The Bible tells us, as we said, no man seeks God. We are alienated from him. There's a barrier between us and God, and it is called sin. That sin barrier must be removed if we are to be, and here's that concept, reconciled to him. What does reconciliation mean? It means that our relationship with God needs to be changed. It essentially means harmony and peace is restored. Uh, just when you have someone who's an enemy and you are reconciled to them, before God can ever change us experientially, he must first provide a way to remove the barrier of sin that has caused enmity between man and himself. And he has done that. And that's what Paul tells us about the first truth about being a new creature is the source of change is God. Very briefly, we'll look at the second truth about being a new creature. And it's this, the means of change is reconciliation through Christ. Notice verse 18. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, having told us that God is in Christ. He's going to go on to tell us about that, but he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's reconciled us to himself through Christ. 
Paul just told us that God is the one who, who has created this change in us. And he now tells us that God is able to bring sinners into a right relationship with him because of reconciliation through Christ. Now, what does that mean? Reconciliation, as I said, is the establishment of harmony and peace between enemies. The Greek word literally means to change thoroughly. But when when Paul is speaking of reconciliation, he's not speaking of the changes in terms of being a new creature in Christ. That's an experiential change. The change he's talking about here is a change of relationship. We can go from being an enemy of God to being a friend and more than a friend, being family with him. We have offended God. Our sin offends God because he's holy. He's perfectly holy. He's perfectly righteous. And quite frankly, our sin is an offense to him. God hates our sin and his wrath is directed against us. We, we are before salvation, children of wrath. And since we are the ones who have offended God with our sin, it would only stand to reason that the initiative for reconciliation should take place with us. We should make the first move. But it doesn't, and it can't, and we're not able to do that because we have no way to be reconciled to God. There is no way. There is nothing we can ever do to achieve the restoration of our relationship with God. What could we do? How can we appease the wrath and anger of a perfectly holy God? Listen, false religion does that. Every false religion is based on this premise that they're, through human effort, through sacrifice, through confession, through doing something, I will appease God's anger and satisfy a perfectly holy God. I will appease his wrath through some kind of human effort and achievement. Paul tells us, though, that God is the initiator and he is the source of making us new creatures. So God is able to do this by taking the initiative to provide a way for us to be reconciled to him. And what is that way? Very simply, two words, through Christ. Reconciliation takes place through Christ. Christ's death on the cross has made salvation, watch this, possible, possible. Why? Because in paying for our sins, Christ has removed the one obstacle that keeps us from being reconciled, and that is our sin. He has removed it. He has paid for it completely, all of it. But I want you to know this. The death of Christ alone does not save us or even reconcile us to God. It merely, watch this, it merely makes it possible for people to be saved. Just because Jesus died for our sins doesn't mean, doesn't mean that we're saved. If you want to put it this way, it means that now we are savable. It means the provision has been made. There still needs to be a response to the message of the cross. And that's why Paul ends in verse 18 by saying, and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. There still needs to be the word going out to say that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And that's why Paul said, we, we plead with you, be reconciled to God. Just because you know that Christ died for your sins and just because he did die for your sins 2,000 years ago doesn't mean you're reconciled to him. It just means the provision has been made. Now, you, you need to respond to that. And we respond by repentance and faith. We turn from our sins. We turn to Christ to save us. Have you ever been reconciled to God? Have you ever really been reconciled in the, in the sense that, that now you are at peace with him? The, the war is over. You're a saved individual. How would you know if you were reconciled? Someone asked me just that the question this week. How would I know if I'm, I'm a Christian? And my response to that individual is the same thing that I say to you. If you've really trusted Christ, there will be a change in your life. You'll, you'll know that you've come to know him because 
Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he's what? A new creature. There will be inward changes in your attitude, desires, perspectives, and, and they will spill over into your life. You'll be different. You'll be different in terms of holiness and, and godly character. That's how you know if you've been reconciled to him. But if you've never been reconciled to him, then you need to call on the Lord to save you. But if you have been made new, if you are a new creature in Christ, then what does a message like this say to us? It says that we ought to fall on our hands and knees before God and say, thank you for the salvation that's all of you and none of me. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for giving us the opportunity to look into your word in such a uh, marvelous passage as this. Lord, I thank you that you've chosen us in Christ. Don't understand that, but I'm glad that I don't need to. And I pray for those who may not know Christ, Lord, that, uh, that hearing the gospel this morning, that you might use this to convict of sin and open their eyes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've never been reconciled to God through Christ and you have questions about it, give us a call at 727-239-0306. That's 727-239-0306. Thanks for joining us today on Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is guiding us in a short series of lessons about reconciliation from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Pastor Steve is the pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. I'm Jerry Peterson. Now that we are reconciled to God, he has a job for us. Pastor Steve will tell us about that on the next Verse by Verse. Deepening your faith. The Lord came called from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't hurt him in any way. But now I know. Question. In your defining moment, does God know? Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTBA. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver for the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.